my life completely changed. God lifted all of the sadness away from me um, and he just breathed new life into me. And I became completely free. God completely changed my life. And it was almost like God had not just given me a, a life, but he'd given me a hope, he'd given me everything that was lacking. I am thankful for that love and just that moment that where it all just made sense and I now have that joy that Farrell can really take away. God washed my sins away and given me a new life. I've become a happier person, more peaceful, joyful as well. And I feel so much more free. I feel like I have a purpose. I can't kind of explain how, how it is, but it's I'm, I'm just, the lives have totally transformed and um, it's been amazing. So this reading is from John chapter 4, verses 4 to 26. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Please welcome Dave as he brings the word. Thank you, everybody. Warm welcome to everybody in the whole of Kingsgate and to this new season and to this new series on the power of God's love. I don't know whether you have a favorite month. September has to be one of my favorite months. Uh, 31 years ago in September, I got married to a lovely girl called Karen 31 years ago. And so it's always going to be personally a very special month. But then if we look back at our history as Kingsgate Church, it's been a special month, September. 28 years ago in September 1988, with nine people, we started what was then Peterborough Community Church 28 years ago in September. And then fast forward to 10 years ago, September 2006, almost to the exact date, we moved into our amazing Kingsgate Church building. And what an incredible 10 years we've had since we moved in then. Six years ago, September 2010, we started Kingsgate Cambridge. Last year, uh, September 2015, we were getting ready for launching morning services in Kingsgate Leicester and starting life groups in Kingsgate London. September has been a wonderful month for us of new beginnings. And before we go on and look ahead, I'd like you to join with me wherever you're gathered. Let's take a moment to honor our amazing God, who's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Why don't we just thank him? Lord, we honor you. We thank you for the journey so far. Thank you for all that you've done in September's over many, many decades. So here we are, September 2016. And I want us to think about this series and this season as a season again of new beginnings. Maybe it's because I spent over 20 years in full-time academia. But for me, often September was as much a new beginning as January was. And what I want to focus on today is not so much we're about to start a new center in a new city this September, but what I want to focus on is saying, God, will you do a new thing in my life and in every one of our lives? How many say I'm ready for God to do something new? Almost right now, why not make it a prayer? Lord, start something new in my life and through my life. And I want us to focus in on our long-term mission as a church, which is really a paraphrase of the Great Commission in our own language that is the ultimate call, I believe, on every Christian, and it's our specific long-term call as a Kingsgate Church family. Some of you know it, you might want to say it along with me. One, two, three, transforming lives from our neighborhoods to the nations by the power of God's love. Notice the goal there, transforming lives. Our lives being transformed and through us, 
many other people's lives being transformed, both locally and much further afield. But what I want to home in on in this season is this phrase, by the power of God's love. Because you see, we need to realize that we, we can't be changed, and neither can anybody else, through just human effort. There's a power that's greater than any power in the universe to change our lives and change other people through us, and it's the power of God's love. And so I want to focus on this power of God's love in this short new series, and we're going to focus in on this wonderful chapter of John's Gospel, chapter 4. A little bit of context, chapters 1 to 3, Jesus, who is the love of God in person and the love of God in action, has already had a great start to his ministry. He's, but he's primarily thus far, in fact, he has been exclusively focused on ministering to his own people, the Jews. If you know anything about John 1 to 3, we covered some of that this time last year. Uh, we, we saw how he gathered his Jewish disciples. He goes and he turns water into wine in a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Then he goes and he overturns the the, the tables of the money changers, and he clears out the temple in Jerusalem. And then we see him encountering a Jewish religious leader called Nicodemus. In other words, his ministry has started, it's been effective, but it's been within a certain context. But what I love about the love of God and what I love about Jesus is that he's never going to settle with just reaching one person. He's never going to settle with a good start. Because as long as there's lost people all around, the love of God wants to saturate individuals and communities and see them changed. Amen? Amen. And so we see a wonderful turning point here in John 4, where Jesus deliberately, if you like, breaks out of the confines of ministering to one people group to go to another group called the Samaritans who were despised and hated by the Jews and he went into a territory, Samaria, that many good Jews would have avoided. But here he is, not only going into a different territory, but remarkably, because God loves Samaritans like he loves every other nation, can I have an amen please? He breaks racial barriers, he breaks a gender barrier here. Here he is doing something shocking in the culture of his day. He's talking to a woman in public. And he breaks a moral and social barrier. Here is Jesus, a holy man, reaching out to a woman who's a multiple adulteress. And I love the fact that the love of God will not be contained. It will not be held back. It will break through every barrier just to reach one woman. But behind this one woman... Jesus knows, and the Father knows, and the Holy Spirit who's guiding him knows, there is a whole town, a lost town. And as we'll see in, in coming weeks, through this one woman, when her life gets changed, she goes and becomes a catalyst for transformation, and many other lives are being transformed. And I want this story to be something like a picture for us. We need Jesus to change our lives and come into our lives and do a new thing in our lives so that we can reach the many in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and our networks with the love of God. Amen. That's what this season is about. But before we can reach others, we need an encounter. Many of you need an encounter of the first time with the love of God. But there's many more of us who I believe in this September 
We need to say, God, we need a fresh encounter with your love because we want you to do a new thing in our lives. You say, why is that so important? Well, I want to pick out three things from this wonderful story. Three things about the love of God. Number one, this love satisfies us like no other. It saves us like no other, and it secures us like no other. Let's look at each of these in turn. Number one, God's love satisfies our deepest longings. Here we are, September, start of a new season, looking ahead. What are some of the longings and desires and needs in your life right now? Do you have a desire for better relationships, better finances, better time at work? I I have a longing, Man City winning the Premier League again this year. I mean, it's a sincere and a deep, genuine longing. But we all have desires, don't we? At all kinds of levels. But all of us are united in this, is that we have physical needs, and one of our greatest physical needs is the need for water. And this story is based around and starts with the context, here's Jesus, he is the Son of God, but he's a real human being, a real man, he's had a long journey, he's thirsty, it's midday, and he goes asking for a drink of water. Why? First, because he needs a drink of water. You know, you can survive a long time without food. That's why fasting for most of us is good for us, not bad for us. Had to get that one in. But normally you can't survive without water for more than three days. And here's Jesus. He needs a physical drink. He has a need. He has a physical need. But in the process of talking to this woman about water, he turns the conversation to a much deeper need that she has in her life. It's a longing. It's a desire. It's a longing for love. And it's a longing for the water that only Jesus can provide. And so he uses, the, there's, a pl- there's a play on words, there's a metaphor here on the theme of water. And he says to this woman, I love this. He says, woman, if you knew the gift of God, it's a free gift. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you what? Living water. Living water. And Jesus knows that this woman has a deep emotional, psychological, spiritual need that will not be satisfied by physical water alone. She needs the living water that Jesus describes as the gift of God. Aren't you glad that this is a gift? I'm so glad that I can receive the water of God's love and God's spirit as a gift. I'm so glad he doesn't give it to me based on how good I am, but on how good he is. It's a gift. And then in case we said, well, maybe, was it just for that woman? No, he carries on in verse 13 and says, everyone who drinks this water, physical water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Can I say there's not one person watching me here in any of our locations There's not a person that you and I are ever going to meet in our whole life who doesn't need this ultimate gift, the gift of God's spirit, the gift of God's love. It's the only thing that ultimately will satisfy us. The philosopher Blaise Pascal famously years ago talked about 
the fact that there is a God-shaped vacuum, God-shaped hole, in the heart of every man and every woman, and only God can fill it. Can I say there's a part of you that is designed to be satisfied only by the love of God at the very deep source of your being. Only His love and His presence can satisfy. And you need this love, you need this living water just as desperately as your body needs physical water. And can I say, and so does everybody we're ever going to meet. But first, if we're going to give away this living water, we need to come and drink ourselves. It's like if you were out in the desert and you've been traveling for three days, you're feeling totally dehydrated, you're on your last legs, and then up ahead, you see this amazing oasis of fresh water, seems like an endless supply. What are you going to do? First thing you do, you're going to run there and you're going to drink, yeah? Because you need it for you, to save you and satisfy you. But imagine not only the fact that you're in the desert on the loan, but you happen to be traveling and there's a whole bunch of people that you know, family, friends, work colleagues, neighbors. And there's a whole bunch of people behind them that you don't know. What's the first thing you're going to want to do? You're going to want to run and tell them, aren't you? You're not going to wonder whether they think you're crazy. You're not putting it on. You say, look, well, I found the water. Come and see. And I believe there's something in this season. It's about us receiving this living water and then filled to overflowing by this living water. We say, Lord, by your help, help us to point others to the oasis that they may come and drink and truly be saved and satisfied. Amen. God's love satisfies our deepest longings. But number two, God's love saves us from our false substitutes. You see, before we can receive and fully be filled with this love that satisfies us, God knows, and Jesus in this story clearly knows, that the something that we contend as human beings to put in that hole, in that vacuum, that can only be rightly filled by the love of God. I've called it a substitute. More theological term would be an idol. Something other than the creator himself and his love and life, we can put stuff into our lives. And can I say, what we put into that hole isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, very often they're good things, but we've got them out of place. And we put created things above the creator. And can I say created things will not satisfy you in a way that only the creator can. Now, in the case of this woman, it's quite clear what her false substitute is. Or what her false substitutes are. Plural. Relationships with men. Now, can I say, relationships in their right place ultimately can be a good thing from God. But here, she's tried to make relationships with men her God, her idol. She's tried to get her satisfaction from these relationships. And it's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's not working for her. 
And so Jesus comes and he points that out. If you like, reveals the lid on her inner life. They have this dialogue and he makes quite clear. He knows exactly where she's at. He says this, you've had five husbands and the man you have, have is, not, is, just, is not your husband. John 4.18. In other words, you're on man number six. Now why is he doing it? He's not doing it because he doesn't love her. He's not doing it to shame her. He's doing it because he does love her and he wants to free her from her shame. Because he wants to free her from the substitute. And the irony of this story, I believe, is here she is. We don't know exactly what she was looking for in men. There could be all different reasons. Intimacy, security, romance, sex. We don't know. But the irony is she's looking for security, satisfaction in human relationships But it's clearly not working for her because the irony of this passage is here she is alone at midday on her own. The very thing she wants, which is company, is driving her away from society. She's isolated. Can I say if we put false substitutes, not only won't they help us, they can ultimately destroy us. Thank you for your affirmation on that point. It's absolutely the truth. It's absolutely the truth. You say, well, maybe she hadn't yet found Mr. Right. Some of you, I won't address anybody who's single here and you, you want to get married and you're still looking for Mr. and Mrs. Right. Can I give you a bit of advice? You're never going to find him <laughs> or her. By Mr. and Mrs. Right, I'm not saying there's somebody who won't be suited. I'm saying there's no such thing as a perfect person who is going to meet all your needs. Those of you married for more than about a day will know that. I mean, I'm thrilled. I'm genuinely grateful 31 years on to be married to to Karen. And I think she kind of is happy about being married to me too. I checked beforehand to check that I was on safe ground. But as much as we enjoy being married, we know that if we start putting all our security and all our needs into one another, we're making a good thing, an ultimate thing, it's an idol, and it won't help us. It will mess us up. Don't make relationships a substitute. No matter how good, children, parents, friendships, anything. Don't put all your hopes on that. Because only the love of God can satisfy. Some say, well, my, my substitute isn't so much relationships. It's work. Can I say again? Work, a vocation, can be a gift from God. I really pray and hope that you are fulfilled and sense a sense of God with you in your work. Partnering with him as the creator. It's a good thing. But don't make a good thing an ultimate thing. Because I tell you, if you make your job and how well you're doing at work, and whether you achieve your ambition, your ultimate goal, and your ultimate God, it will always dissatisfy you. Even if you achieve your goals, because you're trying to fill something, you're trying to fill your heart with something that was never designed, your ambition was never supposed to ultimately satisfy you. Can I have amen from somewhere? What about money? Some of us, that's our goal. If I can just 
have a bit more money. That'll satisfy me. The uh, first American billionaire at the time he was the richest man in the world was asked, how much is enough money? And he famously said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And so, it may be your hobby, it may be leisure, anything that consumes you. Anything that consumes from the moment you wake up to be really, really careful that you're not making even a good thing an ultimate thing that's not going to fully satisfy you and is ultimately going to destroy you. If we'll get God and his love in the center, the good news is we can enjoy relationships. We can enjoy work. We can enjoy possessions. We've got to get the things the right way around. Don't make anyone or anything else a substitute for the love of God. In fact, even today, allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And just as he did with this woman, allow him to come and reveal where you're at in order that he might heal you, in order that he might satisfy you, in order that he might set you free. God's love satisfies our deepest longings saves us from false substitutes. Number three, God's love secures us as his children. I believe it's something that every human being needs, security. I don't know, and we don't know exactly what this woman was looking for, but having been married and having had two daughters and having pastored for many years and having some understanding of what we need as human beings, I think security comes pretty high on our list of deep longings and felt needs. Is that right? And part of that security, God designed it that we were supposed to get it from our parents and family. But of course, we know there's no such thing as perfect parents or perfect families. And even a perfect, even a a great parent can't provide for us what only God, our Heavenly Father, can provide for us. And God knows, and God wants to fill that void with his fatherly love. He really does. And so here comes this woman longing for security, deep, deep longing. But she's feeling really uncomfortable right now because he's messing with her life. He's talking about relationships because he wants her to be changed. He wants to set her free. And so she tries to divert the com- conversation using, if you like, the smoke screen of a religious discussion. I don't know if you've ever done that or if people have ever done that with you. Uh, you, you know, let, let's talk about, let's go on to safer ground. Let's have a religious discussion. And she starts trying to talk about the difference of worship between Samaritans and Jews. She starts talking about which mountain shall we worship on? I believe it's possible, even if we know God to some extent, for religion to be like an unhelpful smokescreen that covers up the real issues in our life. And it also, I believe, can obscure the true God for who he is. And I don't care what guy's religion comes from, from what world faith or philosophy or inner self-help technique, all religion ultimately is based on what we can do 
on how we can follow certain codes or philosophies, but Christianity is different. It's a gift. Christianity, can I say, is not a religion. It's a dynamic relationship with a loving Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus comes and He cuts through all the religion. He doesn't engage in worship on this mountain, that mountain. No, he comes to the heart of what we all need, which is we need a secure, loving relationship with the creator of the universe. And he introduces this broken, lost woman, desperately seeking for solace in men with the greatest dad the universe has ever known and ever will know. He says, come and let me show you about my heavenly father. Wonderful. And so he says, okay, let's talk about worship. It's not about where we worship, forms and methods. He says the key to worship is who you worship. And he says the true worshipers will worship who? The Father in spirit and in truth. And the word worship there, one way of translating it, the word worship is to kiss towards. Not going through the motions, but intimate engagement with a loving God. As he loves us, we respond by encountering him and enjoying his love. And can I say, when you know God your father, when you know that he is a good, good father, and that is who he is, and when you know that you're loved by him, and that is who you are, I want to tell you, it, it secures you, and it resecures you every time you hear his whisper, but you sense his presence, there's nothing like the love of God. Amen. The great thing about the love of God, I want to tell you, is everything else can be outside, raging like a storm. You can be secure on the inside, and I believe in the times we live, we don't have to be prophetic to say that we're going to need to be a people who learn to be secure on the inside and we have eternal knowledge and security because we know we have a Father who loves us and the best is yet to come. We can say that as the children of God, the best is yet to come. Circumstances can be awful, but on the inside we can know I have a security in my Father's presence. Now, this woman is a great picture of someone who has an, an initial encounter with Jesus and her life gets changed. And if you have not had an encounter with Jesus Christ, wherever you're gathered, to close this meeting, we want to give you an opportunity to come to him or if you've been away from him, to come back to him. But I know I'm addressing hundreds of people who already have had an encounter with Jesus. You can say, yeah, I know something of what you're talking about. My question to you, though, is, when was the last time you had a fresh encounter with him? When was the last time you had a fresh encounter with him? Because if you look back at the whole of Scripture, you'll see men and women of God who had an initial encounter with God, but then they had ongoing encounters with him. I'm going to take an Old Testament character and a New Testament character. Old Testament character, David. How many of you enjoyed looking at David over the summer? Wasn't that a great series? And you'll know from that series that David, clearly right from a young, young boy, began to develop a relationship with God. 
He's a man after God's heart. He knows God's anointing. He writes psalms. He knows what it's like to worship God in the house of God and on his own. And yet there's a time in his life that we see in Psalm 63 when he declares this. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. So, well, why was he thirsting? Not because he didn't know God. He's thirsting because he does know God. Now, some of you missed that. <laughs> Let me say it again. Once you've tasted, once you've drunk of God's love, it's not like, oh, well, I've arrived. Oh, I'll just go through the motions and live lives. I'm saved, I'm secure, eternity. No, no, no. We are people designed to be constantly refilled with his love. Constantly meet with him and walk with him. It's a dynamic, ongoing relationship. And so we see here in verse 2, 3, and 5, the reason he's seeking God, the reason he's thirsting, is because he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. I know what it's like. And then one of my favorite verses in the whole of the, the Old Testament says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will be fully satisfied. There we come back, as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Notice here David, the mature man of God, he wants more of God's love because he knows God's love is better than life. New Testament. You say maybe that was David. He, he, he was around before Jesus came, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's just an Old Testament saint. What about the Apostle Paul? Agree he's in the New Testament? Here he is. He has an encounter, a personal encounter with the risen, ascended Jesus, gets saved on the road to Damascus. Elsewhere in his writings, we hear about him talking about indescribable experiences when he's taken up to the third heavens. And yet we read in the book of Philippians, Paul making statements like this. I want to know Christ. You say, hold on, Paul, you know Christ, you've met him. We don't know exactly the chronology, but Paul, you've had encounters in the heavens. You still want to know Christ? Yeah, because I want to tell you, the more we know, the less we know. That's what a mature believer thinks. That The more we've tasted and seen, the more we want to taste and see. My goal today is not to preach you full, it's to preach you hungry and thirsty, to seek after him. I don't know if you enjoyed having Rambabu with us, and he's a great man of God. Many signs and wonders and miracles. He has a close walk with God. I've, I've tracked with him personally over many years. I met him years ago, and he talked about how he prayed in tongues for four hours a day. And I recently met him, and he said, are you still praying in tongues? He said, yep, two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. He fasts a lot. He has a close walk with God. Get the picture? And yet here he is with us. These are his exact words. I'm not a theologian, but I am a man hungry for God. In spite of all he's seen. What I love about the pressing in and the humility 
As he told us publicly, and he told me afterwards, he said, basically, he had a fresh encounter with God here on a Sunday in worship. And he said to me afterwards, he said, just being around, worshiping God together with you, said, I felt refreshed. And his words were oiled, ready for a new season of ministry. Refreshed and oiled. Isn't that fantastic? But what I love about it, why did he experience that? Because he's hungry, because he's thirsty. Can I encourage you, wherever you're at in your walk with God, press in for more. Press in for a great encounter. Let's learn from David. Let's learn from the Apostle Paul. Let's learn from Rambabu. Let's press in for more of God. I've had a summer, I've had some encounters with the Lord, but I come into this new season saying, Lord, I want more. I want more of your love that satisfies me, that saves me and secures me like nothing else. So will you join me in this next season? Will you join me as we go into three days of prayer and fasting where we take the opportunity to allow ourselves to get a little bit physically hungry in order to direct our hunger in an intensive way to encountering God afresh. Let's be expectant that when we come together in our gatherings, we come not complacent. Ah, Sunday again. We come saying, like Rambabu, I'm going to meet with God. And God is going to meet with me. And then we come together and we take the opportunity of prayer meetings where we can come and pray with others. We worship him together. We seek him together. And the faith of others and the revelation of others, somehow Jesus presents himself in a special way when we come together. But thank God we don't have to wait to come together to encounter God. We also can encounter God on our own. So load yourself up with great worship CDs. Put it on your headphones, in your car, wherever. Take time out. Why not go and have a prayer walk? Pray in tongues. Read your Bible. Let's believe that this is going to be a season where freshly as the people of God, we encounter him. This is the Christian life. It's not a just what God did yesterday. Thank you for saving us. It's not just in the future. Thank you that you will ultimately save us. It's saying, thank you, Lord, that you're ongoing changing us and saving us in the here and now. And as we get full and as we get changed, we can go with this love of God. And like the woman, we can go and say, we've tasted and seen. We've been at the oasis. Come and see. And the reason we can be confident that we can encounter the Lord and others can encounter him is because two, three years after this incident, the Jesus who is offering the gift of living water hangs on a cross, enduring tremendous, unimaginable, physical anguish, pain, and thirst. But even more than that, and the real horror and wonder of the cross, is that Jesus, who had been with the Father from eternity, who himself is the source of living water, has allowed himself to be cut off from the source of all life in order that you and I can be brought into the life and the light 
of God. And on the cross, one of the sayings of Jesus on the cross, two words, I thirst. Jesus endured ultimate physical and spiritual thirst, cut off from all life-giving water that you and I never need to be cut off and can come and be satisfied and saved all our days. Isn't he wonderful? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Father, we thank you for this incredible gift of living water. We pray that we might receive and many others might receive through us. In Jesus' name, amen.